Now, I was speaking to a church member this past week about her new job. And she's only just recently started this new job. And I know there are a number of people in the church who are looking for work at the moment, and we are praying for you. We know that that is a burden. Um, and you know, with any job finding process, it, it all go, it, there's a particular way it happens, isn't it? You know, you see a job advert or something online, you get a sense of what the role is about, and then you apply. If you're lucky, you'll get invited to interview, and then you find out a little bit more about what that's like, and then you figure out more about the job, and they figure out more about you and whether they want to hire you. And then if you're lucky, you'll get offered the job, and then you get to start. And this is what happened to um, my friend in the church. She, she started this role. She's already a few days in. She's got this new job. But the one thing she's kept saying is, I don't, I don't know what my job is yet. Now, did she read the job description before she applied? Yes. Did she have the interview and find out more about the job at the interview? Yes, she did. But even though she's done all of that so far, the specifics of what her role will look like in the day-to-day are not yet clear. It's that first week, you know, when you're trying to sort out things with IT and uh, go through all the policies and things that you need to figure out without doing the actual job. Now, why is it that her job is not clear to her? Well, because a job description or a chatter interview is not enough to convey what the job is truly like. It doesn't capture everything. You have to actually start doing it, and then you figure out what the responsibilities are as you go. Now, we are in a a sermon series called What Makes a Church, and we're looking at some of the structures that Jesus has given to his church so that it will function properly. We're taking some time out from our usual practice, which would be to go through particular um, Bible books or sections of a Bible book systematically. We're doing a topical series, and the reason for that is that we're trying to reboot membership at Grace Church. So we have membership classes coming up for the first time in a few years, And we're hoping that many of you who are regular at the church and not yet members would become members and and choose to join formally. And last week, we thought about membership. Um, We looked at what it involves, and we saw that joining a church means two things. It means um, committing, and it means submitting. So committing, we're like parts of a body, the Bible says. We're interconnected, and we need to be able to um, commit to that, that body with our resources and time. But we also saw that joining a church means submitting specifically to the leaders of the church. But much like a basic job description, I haven't really fleshed out what membership looks like on the ground in the day-to-day. You could listen to last week's sermon and think, I don't know what my job is, if you are a member. So we're spending another week this week to get concrete some of the nitty-gritty details of what it means to be a church member. Now, we thought a little bit about what submission to church leaders looks like last week, and next week we'll be having a a bit of time to think about church discipline, which is another part of submission. So today we'll be looking particularly about the commitment piece. What does it mean for a church member to commit to a church? Now, that might sound like a bit of an in-house chat. So if you're a visitor here, or just kind of curious about Jesus and Christianity, and you've not really kind of committed to a church at all or thinking about membership, please don't switch off. So this isn't merely just for those of us who are regular at the church to think about. This is for you too. And there are a couple of questions that I'd like you to consider as you hear this. Firstly, does this description 
of community sound like one that I would be, like to be a part of? Does it sound attractive? And secondly, as we go through um, the passage today and, and the sermon, if the Christian God does exist, if Jesus has literally risen from the dead, what does his design for the church say about him? And do I want to know more about him? And I hope all of us will as a result of looking together at what membership involves. So let's flesh it out. Let's flesh it out. Uh, in true stereotypical preacher style, we've got three alliterating points. Aren't I good to you? And the first one um, is C, contribution. Contribution. So look down at your passages. We've looked at Ephesians 4. First of all, before we get into the nitty-gritty, let's just big picture think why. Why would we be church members? What is it we're aiming for in being part of a church? And this passage gives us the big picture. So just look down at verse 13. The big picture for church membership is this, that we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of of Christ. That's quite a kind of clunky sentence. But in short, Paul is saying that God gives the church so that we all grow up, so that we all mature. We do not come to church purely for a kind of spiritual experience or a booster to get us through the rest of the week. Jesus' goal for his church is that we all collectively grow, we mature, we become more united more bonded to each other relationally. We come to know Jesus Christ better and we become more like him. To have increasingly the qualities that Jesus has, to love the things he loves, to hate the things he hates, to have the wisdom he has in our lives, to have the love and compassion for others that he has. That's what the big picture is. We all grow up. Verse 15, look at verse 15. It's this amazing image. We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Now, I don't know if they had bobble heads in the first century. But this is kind of what it is. You know, a bobble head, like figure, where the head is a lot bigger than the body? We've got this picture of Christ being like the head of a body, and we as the church are his body, and we're to grow up so that we're in proportion to the head. So we grow, yes, in number, as more people hear the good news and come into the church, but we grow in maturity. As we grow to be more like Jesus, we grow into the size appropriate for the head, if that makes sense. That's what we're doing. That's what church membership is about. So how does that happen? Well, look at verse 11. It's a fascinating dynamic. Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and into that purpose statement that we just looked at. So God has given the church leaders, ministry leaders, apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers. What is their job? Their job, it says, is to equip God's people for works of service. That's what the job is. So think about all the elders of this church. Think about your life group leaders. Think about ministry leaders. Guess what? We are not here to do everything. 
That's not our job. In fact, a major part of our job is releasing the members of the church to serve, to help you play your part. I've once, uh, once heard leadership described as making other people successful. And there is some truth to that biblically. The leaders of a church, those whom God has given, are here to help the whole church body be successful in growing up to be who God has made them to be and to serve and contribute in the ways um, that he has called us to. Look at verse 16 at the end of the passage. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So the church family is a building project. Not necessarily with a literal building, but for us as a community, it's a building project. And all of us have been given a hard hat and some high-vis and some tools to be able to get involved and stuck in and be part of that construction project. It's a grand design of church, a church family growing in maturity and love, and it is a team effort for, for us all to be part of. In other words, a key part of church membership is contributing. If you are going to be a member of a church, you are to play your part. That's what Jesus has commanded and designed for his church. So, nitty-gritty then. What does it look like for a church member to contribute? Here are just a few areas. One, attendance. We saw this last week, didn't we? Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. Let us not give up meeting together, as is the habit of some. So first and foremost, the most basic form of contribution that you give to your church is by showing up and being there. Church members prioritize making it to church on a Sunday. And church meetings are not the first things to get dropped when we're tired or when a fun weekend opportunity comes up. It matters that church members are present at church. And not just church gatherings, prayer meetings, life group meetings, church family meetings. To be a member means to be there and present. And it matters. It matters that we're there. Secondly, linked to attendance, involvement. Involvement. So church members can contribute by taking an interest in the affairs of the church. Things like asking questions in church family meetings, making suggestions, wanting, wanting to know what is going on with this particular area of church life. There's a, a kind of mental investment. But also involvement through serving. Works of service makes that explicit, doesn't it, in Ephesians? Now, we have various ways that people can serve in the church. Uh, we have various rotors and ministry teams. Ways you can serve here on a Sunday morning and also in the, in the week. And so being a member means being encouraged to be part of one of those teams. Now, we have, as it happens, various needs at the moment in the church in terms of teams. Um, our children's work would be one. Our sound team would be another if you're a regular at this church and would like to become a member, would you be willing to serve in one of those teams, for example? So it's about involvement. Thirdly, finances. Now, Grace Church is not really obsessed with grabbing your money. In fact, um, we have been critiqued in the past for not making it clear enough on how to give <laughs> to the church. But nevertheless, it is an important principle that church members are generous are generous. We're generous with our time, we're generous with our energy, and yes, 
We are generous with our money. And this reflects the fact that Jesus Christ has given us everything we have. And actually, the things he gives us are ultimately his, including our money, and we are to be merely stewards of it and to steward it well. And so to give generously is a way of expressing gratitude for what Jesus has given us. What has he given us? His very flesh and blood. And so we can, we can give financially. And then last, but by no means least, prayer. Church members pray for the church and for those in it. We need that. We need your prayers so much. Prayer that we will grow in a way that Jesus wants us to, as Ephesians says. That we will be faithful, that we will share the love of Jesus in Manchester and be willing to do that even when it's hard. That the Lord will provide for us in all our needs. Those are just some ways in which we can contribute to the church family. And I just want to say, for those of you that do contribute, even in small ways, it really matters And it's a real blessing to us that you do so. You know, if you're on the, for example, the hospitality team downstairs, you give someone a cup of coffee, that is a way of serving the church. That, in its way, works towards us growing up and being mature. It's an act of love. It's an act of service. It helps people feel welcome. A little thing like that contributes to the whole body. It helps us grow up that little bit more. So we can all contribute. And even in the smallest ways, It blesses and builds up the church. Now, there's one other area to contribute to, that members can contribute, but it kind of demands a section all of its own. So let's go to our second C, which is community. Community. Now, um, there'll be some verses that come up on the screen from Romans 12. Um, You should be able to read those. Let me just read from verse 5 and then verse 9 and 10. So in Christ... We, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. And verse 9, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. So we've spoken about how we contribute money, time, energy. But it's not like being a member of the church is like an impersonal exchange of resource. So I'm going to be a member today, and so I'll go, and I'll go on this rotor for a little bit, or I'll give a little bit of my money, or I'll do this task, and and that's me ticking the box for membership. It is inherently and irreducibly relational, being a member of a church. It means being connected to other people and invested in them. We looked at that verse from Romans um, 12 last time, didn't we? Verse um, 5. Members belong to each other. They belong to each other. And so we are called to love one another. We're called to love one another. Now this sounds wonderful in the abstract, doesn't it? To be part of a community where people love each other. um, I belong to others. They belong to me. That sounds great in the abstract. But we have to remember, we're not called to love in a kind of vague, general sense. We are to love specific people. And so if you're a regular at the church, you might as well look around the room, because these people who are around you are particular people that you are to love. 
These are your church family. And this can seem a little bit more of a challenge, can't it? Uh, I'm reminded of a quote in the comic strip Peanuts. I love mankind. It's people I can't stand. Now, the idea of loving your church family becomes more complex when you consider the actual people around you. I, I once heard a church minister talk about this. He, um, he said he had people in his church, and sometimes he would see them at church. He'd look at them, and in his mind, he'd say to himself, my dear brother, you are weird. And church life is like that, isn't it? We're, we're thrown into a community alongside people who are quite different from us. It's a whole mix of personalities and temperaments and different interests and hobbies. But Jesus has saved all of us and brought us together. And so that means that in, when we are part of a church community, we're with people who normally we would never meet or we would never hang out with if we didn't have Jesus Christ in common. But that's the glory of the church. He's called diverse people together, and we are to love one another. Just look at verse 9 on the screen. Be devoted to one another in love. That's a call, isn't it? To be devoted to each other. And remember, Paul is speaking to an actual church in Rome, just like ours. So we're to be devoted. We're to make time for each other. We'll cook for each other. We might babysit each other's children, invite each other into our homes. We'll be willing to provide a listening ear to those who are going through struggles. And also, we will be willing to let other people into our lives and our hearts and open ourselves up to others to share what's going on, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And we do this, yes, with this weird group of people whom Jesus has brought us together with. That's a key part of membership, being part of community. And it's not just about being nice. We, lots of other groups outside the church can be nice to each other. This is a community life that centers around Jesus Christ. We speak to each other about Jesus. We encourage each other in our Christian walks. Sometimes we may have to pluck up the courage to speak a challenging word to another gently, so that they will keep growing and going in their Christian walk. We're willing to ask people difficult questions out of a desire to love them and see them grow. The church is to be a family, and not a family where the members are estranged from each other. We are to be present to each other as spiritual fathers and mothers, brothers and sisters. Now, the way we cultivate that at Grace Church is through life groups. These are our small groups that meet during the week in people's homes. And we call them life groups because the idea is that we get to share life with each other. It's not just a Bible study in the midweek. There to be places where we connect meaningfully with each other, often over food and with open Bibles in hand. There can be places where we laugh and cry together, where we encourage each other. And so members, we encourage to be part of life groups. If you really want to get dug into the community here, that is the best way. So members are called to live in loving community. And there is something beautiful about this when we do it, despite its difficulties. Because as we live in community, as we devote ourselves to each other in love, we get to embody the love of Christ 
to each other. Let me share an example of this. So my wife, Hannah, who's not here, so I can talk about her behind her back. Um, she's quite a tactile person, if you know her, okay? So if you ask her if she'd like a hug, that's like asking me if you, if you could buy me a book. The answer is always yes. Um, she loves hugs. She's very tactile. And for her, one of the things in her Christian life she's had to work through is how do I relate to a God who I can't touch? How do I connect with a God who I can't see? When normally the way you know, she, she, she's used to expressing love is, is through touch. And one of the things that she has realized is that in the Christian community, as she is loved by other Christians, that is a way in which she is loved by God, loved by Christ. Her Christian brothers and sisters in this church embody Christ's love to her. They are a gift from God. They are a means by which Jesus loves her. So she's coined a phrase. She'll hug someone and she'll go, this hug is from me, but it's also from Jesus. And she's right. Now, if you're not a huggy person, by the way, you're probably thinking, no, thank you. But the principle goes beyond physical touch. Jesus has designed his church community to be a place where we receive his love through all sorts of means. As we are listened to by other people, as we are provided food from, by each other, these are gifts directly from heaven. And to take the body analogy that we've looked at before again, we get to be like Christ's hands and feet to others in the church community. And so do you understand what a privilege that is? You get to embody Jesus Christ to another person in the church. What a privilege. And that is the joy of belonging in the church as members are called to do. Now, all of this sounds wonderful, and it really is wonderful. But even as we speak about the joys of community, we do have to speak about some of its difficulties as well. And so as members of a church, we have to deal with the reality of conflict, which is our final C. Conflict. Um, there'll be some verses that come up on the screen from Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 14. Let me read these. Paul writes, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and, and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Being part of a church is not always a harmonious experience. In fact, in any community, including the church, there are many opportunities to get annoyed, to get hurt, and generally distrust one another. There are personality clashes Miscommunication. People who feel hurt or victimized sometimes act in a way that victimizes others without knowing it. We sometimes assume motives on the part of other people. We label others, and then we interpret all of their actions based on what we've already decided is true about them. 
So we think, oh, well, they probably did this thing because they're self-absorbed and they think highly of themselves because that's what they're like. All sorts of these misplaced motives, negative behavior, thought patterns, they can be present in a church community. And it's difficult for those who have quite idealistic views about what a church community will be like. Some think it will be a perfect haven free of conflict. But over the passage of time, such dreams inevitably die. You hang around a church long enough, someone is going to disappoint you or hurt you. Now, I've been part of this church since 2013, and I love it, and I've been massively blessed by the community life that I've experienced here over many years, including being part of a wonderful life group. It's been a blessing. But we are not a perfect church. Grace Church, like any church, has had difficulties over its history. Some people have left under a cloud. Some people have been hurt. And for some of us, when we've experienced that, it's it's come as a shock. Perhaps because we were tempted to think in some ways that we were an ideal church community. Well, the truth is that we are not. And perhaps one reason why God has allowed difficulties in our church over time is because that bubble needed to be burst so that we wouldn't become proud and think too highly of ourselves. Now, the good news is, whatever our expectations, Jesus is not quite as idealistic about the church as we can be. He knows we have the capacity to hurt each other, and that's why we are given passages like this on the screen. You know, the Apostle Paul wouldn't have to tell us to bear with each other and forgive each other unless he knew there was the possibility of conflict. It's a given that we're going to rub up each other the wrong way. So, as members of the church, we have to do two things. Firstly, we have to acknowledge that church life with other people is going to be hard sometimes. We have to acknowledge that. I almost want to say, like, to prospective members, sooner or later, we are going to let you down. Not something that you'd naturally find on a social media piece online for a church, but nevertheless, I think it's true. Sooner or later, you're going to get disappointed by someone or something in this church. After all, we're a family, and families have complex relationships in them sometimes, don't they? Brothers and sisters falling out, difficult relationships with parents. So we need to acknowledge that this side of the new creation, we are not going to be perfect. But the second thing is, we need to commit to living in a way then that promotes unity and not division in the face of conflict. And we see that on on the screen um, with Colossians. And Paul has plenty of examples. He says that we're to have patience and to bear with one another. Choosing not to be offended by everything someone says, but being willing to let something slide. Being willing to keep giving and serving others, even if it feels like you're not getting much in return. That's part of what it means to be patient and bear with others. Humility. In the midst of conflict, when we're upset about something, just stopping, slowing down and thinking, have I missed something here? 
What might, uh, what might I have got wrong? If someone confronts you about something, be willing to accept that you may have contributed some, something negative to a, to a situation. Be willing to admit fault and be willing to repent, even though that feels like swallowing pride and losing a bit of power. Gentleness. Gentleness. We're to watch our tone of voice, the sorts of things we say to people, the way we say them. Body language. If we're upset, not going into a situation with the intention of beheading someone else, even in our minds. Forgive. We need to be willing to forgive other people, to release that other person, to let go of the right to punish them for what they've done. And as we've seen before, we need to love them. In every action, in every conflict, in every trouble, we can think, what can I do to best serve the other person? If we do these things, that will help us to grow into the body that we are designed to be. Now, when interpersonal conflicts get particularly bad, some are tempted to leave the church altogether. It just becomes too much. They've been hurt too much. They become disillusioned or jaded. And sometimes that is understandable. But what we need to remember is that in all its trouble and for all its difficulty... This church, this flawed church community, nevertheless, belongs to Christ. It is his church. A pastor in the States, Ray Ortland, has put it like this. The church is a mess. The church is a mess. And yet, it is his mess. It belongs to Jesus. And the messy people of the Christian church are apparently not beneath him, not beneath his care. He's right. You know, Jesus cares about the Christians that you are most annoyed with, the ones whom you most hate. He has given himself for them, and he loves them, and he is committed to them, just as he is committed to us. See, the church, it's both a glorious thing, It's a wonderful thing, a sign of God's Holy Spirit at work. And yet it is also a mess because of the remaining sin that is in it. But that's just like you, right? And just like me. We are a masterpiece of God's work. We've been made alive in a way that we were spiritually dead before. We have our eyes open to the glories about who Jesus is. And we want to live for him. That is a wonderful miracle that God has worked in us. And yet we are also a mess. There's stuff in our hearts that, is, that are ugly. And we bring our sin into every interaction we have with others. And yet the Lord Jesus sticks with us. He sticks with you. He is committed to you in all your failings. And knowing that, knowing that he has forgiven you, that he cares for you, that he is willing to walk with you day by day in all your mess is the power needed for us to then commit to the church even when it's hard. 
We look at this list of things, don't we? The commitment, the community, the way we deal in conflict, and we see all sorts of ways in which we, we, we haven't lived as proper members of the church, even if we're formally signed up. We haven't given all that we could have given. We haven't um, served and loved others in the ways that we could have done. There are all sorts of ways in which we fall short. And yet the Lord Jesus Christ is stuck to you. He loves you, and having died and risen again for your salvation, he's not going to abandon you on, the, like on a heap just because you failed in some way. There is forgiveness available in Christ, and he's determined to keep doing his work in you and help you as you live in community with other brothers and sisters, even in this very church at Grace Church. We can be members. We can live in the way that he wants us to as we grow bit by bit into the head. He gives us that power. He gives us that strength to love even the most unlovely in your life group or in your church family. That is what the Lord Jesus calls us to. And so as we seek to serve him and obey him, we have to rely on him. We need to realize what he has done for us and thank him and rely on his Holy Spirit for us to live faithfully. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us at Grace Church to be a church full of members who are contributing and part of the community and working through conflict. Lord, we are not a perfect church. And where we have idolized this church, Lord, may we repent. And may you forgive us. Lord, where we have not served you as we could and been stingy, forgive us. Where we have contributed to conflict and not been a peacemaker but a peacebreaker, forgive us, we pray. But Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that you have committed yourself to us, that you are contributing to our growth and health by your Holy Spirit. You've not abandoned us, and you've not abandoned your church, and we can find forgiveness in you and power to live a a godly life, even with these brothers and sisters who are so different from us, but so wonderful. Lord, where we need to commit to your church afresh, help us to do so. And Father, we pray that for those who do not yet know you, even in this room, that you would reveal more of your son to them. May they see the greatness of the Lord Jesus and his work. In his name we pray. Amen.